We headed to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number four. I'm Jim. He's Dustin. Dustin, we've been going through the decade of the 60s. Some really interesting stuff. We went over the stadium, and we got in quarter number three to the Joe Paterno era. Leading up to, uh, he had his first year, 500. 1967 was the transition year. 68, 69 was the payoff. 31-game unbeaten streak. Put that in perspective for me now. Can you imagine that? If the team would currently have a 31-game unbeaten streak? To have a 31-game unbeaten streak to have zero national titles to show for it. How about, how about that layer of perspective on it? The the kind of outrage that would be out there. Like we did this not once, but twice. We did this a second time in unbeaten season twice, two years in a row, and to have no national titles to, to show for it. That's the fascinating thing is uh, how, how you get to that place. And you get to that place, you know, I'll, I'll let you kind of set the stage for it in a pretty, you know, looking back on a pretty bizarre fashion. It, it really was. And let's, well, first of all, if possible, the team defense was even better in 69 than in 68. They gave up over 20 points. In fact, they gave up, uh, where was it? I believe it was to Navy, yes, that they um, gave up 20 points. I'm looking, finding it in my statistics. Yes, they beat Navy 45-22, first game of the season. Did not give up 20 points after that. In fact, allowed less than 20 points three, four, five, six, seven times out of 11 games. They allowed single digits only. That's a pretty good defense. And we're going to get into the more the individual players, and it was a star-studded team. But you alluded to it. There's a great story going forward. Penn State undefeated. Again, it came time to go for the bowl game. And interesting, bowl games were decided a little bit differently then. Ohio State was undefeated in number one. There was no way Penn State would be able to play Ohio State in a bowl game because Big Ten would go to the Rose Bowl playing a Pac-8 team. There was no way Penn State would play for number one, so they had to make a decision where they would want to go, and their options were the Cotton Bowl to play the winner of the Southwest Conference or go to the um, Orange Bowl and play the winner of what was the Big Eight at the time. And the team actually voted on it, and they decided to they preferred to go to Miami in the Orange Bowl than to go to Dallas. And that seems like a pretty innocent decision because they couldn't play for number one. But then things changed after that. But first of all, Dust, could you imagine picking out your bowl game before the season is finished? Yeah, that's the, you know that's the the culture shift too. It's just you know like trying to explain. Let's just say you had somebody transplanted from an alien planet trying to explain college football. 
uh, the complexities of the bowl system and stuff. And this was this was the early stages of, of the bowl system getting bigger and bigger and bigger and becoming a bigger and bigger enterprise too. Just like we followed Penn State football from you know the the gr- expansion of Beaver Stadium and uh, the to four hundred to to a stadium that has four hundred uh, forty three thousand um, capacity. You know this was becoming a bigger and bigger and bigger deal, and it's kind of led to where we are now. But there were some clearly some kinks to work out in the system of picking out where you're going before the season was over. Now, at least, you know, you got a full body of work. You've got, you know, way too many people in the bowl system who are making a million plus dollars a year to pick out two teams and let them play. Uh, so the, you know, we're not dealing with a perfect system by any means now, but at least it's better. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I think history shows uh, screw ups and, oddities that get revealed ultimately lead to someplace good. And Penn state, I think, unfortunately was part of some of these oddities that, that laid the foundation for the modern bowl structure. There's no doubt about it. Now, the rest of the story as it went was Ohio state ended up losing to Michigan, but Penn state was already committed to the orange bowl. So there was no way they could go to the cotton bowl and play number one ranked Texas. The additional part to the story was uh, Texas played Arkansas, who at the late in the year ranked one and two. They played. President Nixon was at the game with a plaque to award to the winning team as the national champion. And that's the other oddity that would really seem strange to today's fans. They would name a the national champion prior to the bowl games. They were true and true blue exhibition games. Now we've got them in this sort of like half and half state. They're not exhibitions, but they're not always, especially, you know, outside of the top, what, six or seven games or whatever. They're not really full competitive uh, viewed games. Uh, they're not, but they're, they're in this kind of weird where they count. All the stats count. The wins and losses count. Uh, but they don't necessarily get treated as such. They have that exhibition field. These were true exhibition games that were just to just to play them, right? <laughs> just just to get teams in different areas and and to reward them for. And that history is kind of part of this whole fight to expand the college football playoff. Now it's the, the this is the kind of stuff that I think of. Um, is to protect this history of, of these games being great privileges to play and all that. Um, it, it's kind of the same themes are coming up in modern college football conversations. It is. And Penn State and Joe Paterno were in the center of this, having these multiple undefeated teams without even the opportunity to play for the national championship. And before we get to uh, so many of the great individual players, Dustin, to finish out the 69 season, uh, Penn State went to the Orange Bowl again. This year they beat Missouri. The score was 10 to 3. And the. Uh, First reaction is probably, oh, just another typical low-scoring game of the era. But I'm going to divert here and talk a little bit about the Missouri team they beat. They averaged 36 points a game that season. They averaged 45 points in their last four games of the season. They put 40 up against Michigan, who was a ranked team. They, they averaged over 450 yards per game. Penn State held them without a touchdown. In the Orange Bowl, Missouri passing the ball 
was 6 for 28 with 7. Yes, 7 interceptions. Could you imagine that level of defense that you have a team? Hey, that's, you know, 36 points. That's a modern offense. Yeah. You know, 450 yards a game. Modern offense. And they were held to three points by this Penn State defense. That's pretty impressive. Well, I mean, the the first thing I think about when you're looking at all this defense and run, it's like, okay, you can say on paper Penn State was a running team that was built around defense. And I think the image that comes immediately to people's heads are this is, this is a, a boring brand of football when you look back on it. But on the contrary, you look at the types of players that Joe Paterno had and you look at the dynamic run game that they deployed, like especially that 69 season where you've got uh, Lydell Mitchell, Franco Harris, and Charlie Pittman all in the same backfield is insane. Um, so, yeah, so they, they were built around running the ball and playing defense, but it was so much more. Seven interceptions against a team that scored 36 points per game. Uh, you had guys who were doing kind of like break breakthrough type roles that, that they would have. You know, you look at Dennis Oncotz, uh, 11 interceptions in his career at Penn State. He was a punt returner and a linebacker. You know, you had got guys were kind of breaking molds at this stage of Joe Paterno's career. And I think that's the, the thing, you know, pe- people who are, modern fans of Penn State football look at Joe Paterno as somebody who was kind of hanging on toward towards the end. But in, in the early stages, you know, he was pioneering to, to some extent. He was taking top Pennsylvania talent, and almost all these guys were from Pennsylvania, taking po- top Pennsylvania talent and getting them to places that you would have never imagined before. Uh, Jack Ham came along. So linebacker, you kind of had this, the, the start in this decade, I think. So, um, you know, and to me, one last thing about, you know, the 60s team and going forward, this is just a true testament to me of be, of dynamic dominant defense being more of an attitude than a talent level. You know, like obviously these guys were talented, uh, but I think, you know, Oklahoma, modern Oklahoma has talented players too, but they don't give a crap about defense and it shows. This was a team that really cared about being dominant and dynamic on defense. And you saw the result of that again and again and again. They weren't just like, it wasn't smash mouth football necessarily. It was innovative football that just centered around football and defense. And that was what carried the whole way through the end for, for Joe Paterno. Penn State is modernizing now and they're spreading defenses out and they're playing modern college football. But you know, the, the birth of, of Penn State football was in running and defense, but not boring running and defense, dynamic running and defense. Winning is never boring. And you alluded to some of these players. And, you know, I hope current fans, maybe they, you know, remember Franco Harris. Maybe they remember Jack Ham because those two guys, they're still relevant. Do yourself a favor. Google Mike Reed, Okay. And the first, the interesting thing there is the first thing that will come up about him will be his work as a musician, okay? And he was very special. But that was also, and having lived through that era, that was still part of the um, DNA of Penn State that they were more than just football players. They were students, they were scholars, they were artists, they were a lot of other things. And that was what Joe Paterno created. And as you've been saying, Dustin, 
that was the beginning of this era with those teams in 68, 69. Penn State became relevant in college football starting with that era. And it's it's a humbling era to look through and look at some of these guys who were all Americans then and and Mike Reed being, you know, he was fifth in Heisman voting in 1969 as as a defensive player. He won the Outland Trophy. He was in Guys and Dolls and he wrestled too. And I'm sure he was a straight A student. Like th- this was a totally different time. And you could make the case, you know, like in modern football, like maybe the story of Mike Reed doesn't unfold. It's going to look a lot different. You know, modern football, it's almost impossible to play another sport unless you're so freakish of an athlete you can play baseball in the spring or whatever. Uh, but times have changed, and 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 uh, athletes are more one dimensional at this level than ever. Uh, I think you got to cherish these stories. But these players, man. Pro and College Football Hall of Famers, up and down. Dave Robinson, you know, the two-way defensive end and tight end. Franco Harris, you know, three steady seasons as sort of like that beefy running back, and then he goes off to do such unbelievable things at the next level. Jack Ham, I mean, there's so many good players in this era that, that set the stage, and they were used in an innovative way. That's my takeaway from the 60s. Well, Dustin, I'm really glad we got a chance to do that do this it brought back memories for me because i could remember those 68 and 69 teams i hope our listeners enjoyed it i really hope they enjoyed it because we're hitting to the 70s next week so (laughs) please please come back for that we'll talk to you then this is jim from keystone sports you know a lot has changed about state college but one thing that hasn't is wc clark's coffee roasters on calder way 30 different varieties of specialty coffee beans sourced from over 25 countries and roasted with love each morning in happy valley for over 45 years we'll ship our fresh roasted coffee from our doorstep to yours that's right you can now order online at statecollegecoffee.com so go to statecollegecoffee.com and use discount code ksn at checkout